Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. I hope you all had a great week and looking forward to this weekend. And joining me today is Micah Current. Micah, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Well, <laughs> I feel like this, well, this, just... <laughs> this should be a disclaimer before we so, start. Our, our but we're going to go thing. ahead and move right into stories gone wild. So we're, we started this show. Micah just sat and told this big, long story gone wild segment. And while he's t- saying it, I look and notice I didn't hit the record button. So <laughs> that's how there's my story gone wild. We started recording an episode and I didn't record button. But luckily, I was able to catch it early enough before we actually got to the meat of this episode to say, hey, I forgot to hit record. We got to do this all over again. <laughs> So that's why I'm in like a good mood right now because it's just so funny. <laughs> Maybe not funny for Micah, but it's funny for me. No, I told you as like when when you realized that. I wish I would have had a screenshot of the the look of your face. We could have posted. Yeah, it I, I was like, <gasps> and but <laughs> an audible gasp. But like I told you, it was it was like a dress rehearsal, right? <laughs> yeah, dress rehearsal. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so there's my story gone wild. The other one would be uh, Sunday. I'm in church. I'm getting ready to, you know, get all the stuff ready for my Sunday school and everything for the kids. And then all of a sudden our worship leader goes, hey, Scott, you play drums, right? And I go look at him. I go, yeah, I'm a better bass player than I am a drummer. He goes, well, our drummer hasn't contacted us. Will you news. will you will you jump on the drums with us? I go, Do you have sticks? He goes, Yeah, we don't have sticks. Terrence always brought his own sticks. I'm like, All right, well, I'll go home, I'll grab my sticks, and I tell you what, I'll play. And if you are like, you know what? If this isn't gonna work, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. <laughs> so <laughs> So he's like, Okay, so I got on there and we played. We played Glorious Day. Um, we fall down and Revelation song right at the beginning. And those were the three songs I played. And when he says, Hey, we're gonna play Revelation song, I'm thinking, oh crap. Like, <laughs> like Well, just to be clear, right? Your church has two different services. One's like a contemporary, one's a traditional. Yeah, we have a I saw contemporary... that you posted a, I saw that you posted about this yesterday. Yeah, we have two we have two services, and uh yeah, so I'm up there, so here I am playing drums. And I'm just like, okay, let's not screw this up. So we went and, and, and the worship leader's like, hey, I mean, you can keep a steady beat. That's good. So I'm like, all right, cool. And I'm like, and I told him, like, you know, I do have to go up for Sunday school, so I won't be able to play the rest of the set. He goes, oh, that's fine. So I'm like, all right. So I played drums for three songs yesterday. <laughs> On an electric drum. And on an electric drum set, by the way, which every time there'd be tough times where I'd hit stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm hitting the rim because I'm not hitting the pad because I'm used to not hitting in a small circle. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was my story gone wild, Mike. What was yours? <laughs> well, now that I've shared it once, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to your, your drumming really quick. When was the last time that you played drums? For a church service. 
Oh, uh, at least probably. Camp Maringo, 1999. No, I, I mean, I played some. <laughs> I mean, no, I played, I think the last time I've actually played on my drum set for a worship service would have been 2015. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I've been about, so I play drums, you know, I'm a worship leader, but like I also have experience playing drums and, and other instruments. But I, I think it's been about a year for me that since I've played drums in a worship uh, worship service. So mm-hmm. I love it. That's one of my favorite things to do in worship is play drums. Like, I just, I feel like I cry. I feel like I I just, I get really aggressive. I feel like if I'm not like sweating bad, you know, profusely by the time I'm done, I'm not done my job right. Like, it's just a cool feeling to play drums in a worship setting. See, Um, I always feel like I'm having a panic attack when I play drums. Like, oh, I hope I don't, I hope I can keep pace and I don't slow everyone down or speed everyone up. Well, the best part is if you drop a stick or if you break a stick or if you, you know, you're going for that big fill and you mess the fill up or... (laughs) Or you try, or like, or like you go and you try to hit the symbol and you completely miss the symbol. <laughs> and you just look stupid, especially on, on an electronic kit. Yeah. Or anyway, you hit yeah. The, or you hit the top of the of the symbol pad and it's not the actual one that has the sensor that makes the noise. So you just hear clink. <laughs> yeah. Um. But like, as you know, like as a bass player, it's all about feel, right? Like the yeah drumming, drumming is very much about, yes, keeping time, but it's also about feeling what the other musicians are playing, especially if you play with a group of guys or gals that don't uh, traditionally play with a click or, or things like that. So like you have to kind of just flow with them, but like you're, you're ultimately the ringleader, right? So it's yeah. uh and we could do a whole podcast on worship drumming, but uh, the story that I had um, kind of in two parts. One, uh, my grandmother turned 85 last Friday, which I learned before we were pressed for cord, Scott, that you and my grandmother have uh, the same birthday, which is really yeah. cool. So um, my grandmother had uh, turned 85. And so my wife and I uh, took a half a day off of work and we went and got her some flowers and a card. And uh, there's a bakery here in Middletown, uh, which is the next town over from us that has some of her favorite pastries they've been open for 60 years and um they're they're just outstanding and so they make these cream horns that she really really loves and these little uh sugar frosted sugar cookies with smiley faces on them that they really uh that she really enjoys and they make stellar birthday cakes i mean scott they're the best birthday cake i think i've ever had in my life and um so we stopped over there grabbed her some stuff and uh you know we were talking a little bit about the weather before we hit record and it is pouring the rain in Southwest Ohio. And Scott, I think you mentioned it was raining up in Columbus. And um, I, I don't remember it just raining that hard for that long and uh, a long while. And so um, we're sitting at my grandmother's house and we're just, you know, cutting it up and having a good time with her and celebrating her life and her birthday. And um, my grandmother's always been afraid of the weather, whether it's uh, tornadoes in the spring and summertime or, you know, a blizzard in the winter, right? She's just terrified of the weather. So um, the woman always has weather on the TV, uh, weather on a radio, looking at weather on her phone or her tablet or iPad, whatever. And um, we've always called her chief meteorologist, Bonnie. Like that's her nickname because she's always worried about the weather. And so, um, we're sitting there and I'm like, grandma, why are you, um, why are you so worried about the weather right now? We should just be celebrating your birthday. And she kept rewinding the DVR and rewatching the weather report. And so my uncle's sitting there and Alicia and I are sitting there and some other family members have kind of come in and come out during the time uh, that we were over there. And they were, um, 
we come to find out that my grandma was, you know, terrified of tornadoes and she's lived through a couple in her life. And so she, she was like, I just want to know if a tornado is coming. And I was like, grandma tornado. And she's like, no, it's tornado. And I'm like, grandma, it's tornado. She's like, no, it's not. And so we got into this funny kind of argument about the pronunciation of tornado versus tornado. And so Scott, I was telling you that, uh, you can Google a word and learn how to pronounce it. And so like now now there's this new feature that you can actually slow the pronunciation down. So I pulled it out and I played it for her and she just kind of rolled her eyes, but you know, and her eyes at 85, I think she can say whatever she wants and however she wants to say it. So she uh, also says the word wash instead of wash crick instead of Creek. Um, and now uh tornado instead of tornado. So we had a good time, you know, catching up with her and visiting and, um, uh, the rest of the weekend, part two of the story, you know, especially in the gone wild piece of it, uh, was that we had been renovating our home and, uh, the week before last, our water softener went out and we learned that the water softener was like the one that came with the house and the house was built 20 years ago. And so, um, we, uh, we had a guy, his name's Jamie. He, he's a fix all handyman that the guy can do anything. And if he doesn't know somebody who can fix, or if he can't fix it, he knows somebody who does. And so Jamie and Ed came over and they installed our new water softener and um, we thought everything was good. And we found out that there were two uh, drains instead of one. And so they didn't hook up the second drain. And one of the days last week when we came home from dinner one night, there was water shooting everywhere in our uh, utility room. And so uh, shout out Buddy the Cat. Buddy the Cat was the one that figured that out because he was you know sniffing by the door and he saw the water. And so uh, we were able to, you know, shut that off. And I called Jamie. Jamie came back over and Ed came back over on Saturday a couple of days ago. And um, while they were fixing that, we're renovating our house. And so we're uh, in the process of redoing our kitchen. And so I um, was pulling down a cabinet. And, you know, Scott, like I was telling you earlier, I have been taking an old cabinet down painting, putting a new cabinet up, taking an old cabinet down, putting a new cabinet up, you know, and all that. And like doing it in that order because we only have a little bit of time because we're both working full time and we're just doing it as we go. And so I took down one cabinet with every intention of, okay, we're going to take this cabinet down and paint. And so Ed finished um, wrapping uh, wrapping up the, the water softener. And uh, I looked... He looked at, you know, out of the utility closet and was like, hey, what you doing? I was like, well, I'm just taking down this cabinet. He's like, well, you want to take the rest of them down? And I'm like, well, we're just kind of doing this. He's like, oh, it'll take five minutes. And so he goes, to, he proceeds to just take all of our upper cabinets down on the other side, excuse me, of our kitchen. And we weren't prepared for that, Scott, because those cabinets were full of stuff still. Like they were, mm-hmm. like we still had. So anyway, long story longer. Uh we go to pull out the the biggest cabinet in the kitchen, which is about like an eight by eight foot by three foot cabinet. And it kind of housed our trash can and some cleaning supplies and things. And so Ed goes to pull that out and we come to find that there's no drywall behind there. And so there's this huge gaping hole in the kitchen. And so Alicia and I are scrambling to clean it up because he uses this saw to like cut the rest of the, you know, the, the drywall out that didn't need to be there so that we could put a sheet in. And, you know, as well as I do, use any kind of saw with drywall, it's going to make a mess. And so all of our dishes were caked in dust. 
our house was covered in dust. It looked like a haze machine went off at an elevation concert and there, there was haze everywhere. Like we had to open the windows, put fans in the windows, clean all that up. And so my wife kept looking at me all weekend long and she's like, this weekend just did not go to plan. Like, <laughs> like not that we had like some sort of concrete plan in place, but like it was just every time we went to do something. So Saturday that happened and we had to go to Home Depot to grab some stuff to do this drywall. And we ran into some friends and they're like, Hey, we should grab dinner. And they're like, Oh, we can't do dinner. We got something to go. We got something going on tonight. And so we're driving over to the other side of town. And then they call us five minutes later and they're like, Hey, you want to grab dinner? And it's like, crap, we really need to go home and fix this. And so by the time we got home, it was six or seven o'clock. We were working on the drywall till 10. It was just crazy. And then yesterday we went to lunch and ran into some people and they're like, Hey, you want to grab some lunch and then grab ice cream? It's so like everything, every time we went to work on the house, basically, it was just something tried to prevent us from doing that. But we got a lot done. In both days when we were working on it, but it was definitely a, I guess a weekend gone wild instead of a story gone wild, starting with Friday <laughs> with my grandmother turning 85 and then, you know, kind of wrapping up uh, with the infamous hole in the drywall. I mean, it was just uh, one thing after another this week or weekend. Yeah. Do wow. you know, did you have another story like in, in reference to not just just not pressing record before our episode started? No, I, well, I talked about playing drums. Hmm. You already forgot already. <laughs> I had a lot going on this weekend. Scott, I know. So. <laughs> oh, goodness. So today we're actually going to be talking about an article that was uh, produced by, it was written by Paul H. Miller at the end of January from Crossway.org called Who Killed the Prayer Meeting? And I thought this was, um, well, you thought it was interesting because you sent it to me and I read through it and I was it really just kind of hit me in a certain place because I can remember um, when I started going back to church and stuff, we would have prayer meetings or maybe we would have like a 24 hour prayer vigil or, and there were a lot of times, like even as recent as probably 2015, 2016, I'd say even 2017, like, I was involved in a prayer meeting in Virginia and it was uh and I have mixed feelings about that uh just how everything went and kind of the response uh people had to the prayer meeting. So I thought this was a great um article and again you can find this at crossway.org/article/who-killed-the-prayer-meeting um and again it's written by uh Paul E Miller. So Micah uh, what were your thoughts? What have been your thoughts about prayer meetings in general? Um, what was your experience with growing up at prayer meetings? Um, yeah, so a number of things. Uh, I grew up, um, you know, as I shared many times on this show, as a pastor's kid, and my dad was Church of God, just like we um, mm -hmm. got ordained. And, and, you know, my earliest um, memory of prayer meeting is uh that of well, we always have wednesday night prayer meeting um that was back in the day when I, I i think it was i was super young probably um you know from the time i was born up until i don't know maybe i went to high school uh when church was sunday morning sunday night and wednesday night so like we always had sunday morning church sunday night church and then wednesday night was like the prayer meeting and um 
you know, as we jumped on this morning online to record this episode, I was thinking, I was like, um, I don't know if this is your experience or not, Scott, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But like, I, I was trying to remember, you know, at what point was Wednesday night church prayer meeting or was it just another service? Mm-hmm. And so like, I always felt, and like, I can't remember. I mean, there was, there were periods when, you know, sure, we would have like extended times of worship and extended times of prayer during those Wednesday night services. But then I felt like it came, it, it became a like almost like a glorified Bible study or a, like a like a mini service of what you would get on a Sunday morning. And so it was, and then it got to the point where like it wasn't much different from what you were getting on Sunday night or Sunday morning. And you know, as I thought about that and reflected on that as we were going to do this episode, I was thinking. You know, what point did that change and why did it change? And if 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 in fact, in, in, and I haven't asked you, you know, your thoughts on this yet, but like if in fact it's almost like a carbon copy of what you were getting on Sunday morning or Sunday night, why would people come? Right. Like I know that like times have changed and people like plan their lives around their calendars and their kids and not around the church. But when we were younger, people plan their lives around the church and not around their kids and their calendars and things like that. But I wonder, you know, you know, serious inquiry about this, because like, I, as I was thinking about it, it's like, okay, as a kid who grew up in a pastor's home, I was expected to go to all these things, right? So like, I would show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night would be another service, just like Sunday morning. And then Wednesday night would be pretty darn close to what Sunday morning and Sunday night were. And so uh, it, it's no different than, you know, Scott, I'm assuming at your church now, where you have multiple services, your your pastor is preaching the same message in both. It's just two different styles of services. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, if if I'm going to a mega church, if I went to the nine thirty, the eleven, or the twelve, or whatever it is, they're the same service, just repeated. Um, and now, now I'm not saying that my dad would preach the same message Sunday morning and Sunday night or Wednesday night, but like. Sometimes he would reflect on Wednesday of what he preached on Sunday morning. It would just be like yeah. a, a miniature version of that. So like, that's really my, my memory of prayer meeting. And, you know, when we read this article, I'm, we, we talk a little bit more about the, the art of prayer, the, the, what, what prayer is and the sacredness of prayer. And just like really just diving into the presence of God and listening to what God has to say, um, or repenting of sin or, um, just being in God's presence, whether it's worship or prayer and having that time dedicated to that and not necessarily a teaching, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. What are your thoughts? And I, yeah. I think when it comes to prayer meeting, um, my experience of prayer meeting growing up has been, um, I think different than yours because I felt like when prayer meetings happened, they were few and far between. And when they did happen, they were specifically devoted to praying but there was always a kind of a flow to prayer it started with like maybe there'd be like um you know like first we probably pray for those who are sick in 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 our congregation and then it would go to let's pray for our missionaries and then we're going to pray for you know the kind of like big broad strokes like you know for god's presence to be in the world and for God to do a transformative work in the life of the church or in our individual lives or in the lives of our 
unsaved family and friends. So there's always specifics of what we would pray about. And we would just spend time just praying over those things. Um, a lot of times if I hear, and I'd say that was probably like my earlier memories of prayer. Um, and then when I would hear about prayer meetings, maybe in college or something that people were doing something, it, it looked very similar to what was Sunday morning. Usually it would be like, okay, welcome to prayer meeting. Here's a little devotional. Now we're going to pray for a little bit. And now we're going to have some worship, some singing time, and then that's it. And then we're done. And it's like, okay, like, you know, especially when I had that foundation of prayer meeting means we are praying and we are praying um, for different things. We are praying for one another. We are, we are praying in community um, and even praying individually too. So there was always a mixture of prayer. Um, so, you know, you go from something kind of organic where prayer is the focus to now it's like, well, there's other things. And then prayer kind of becomes a hefty side dish. And I think you, you mentioned something earlier where you said something about, you know, what's, you know, what becomes, I don't know what, I can't remember the term you use, but something like, you know, is it systematic? You know, yes. as we pray, is it something that, well, here's kind of a system and we're going to stay true to the system and we're not going to allow the spirit to kind of take over and, and do what it needs to do in our lives or, or kind of help navigate our prayers. And well, the article says that a little bit, right? Like oh, it, yeah. it, talk, it talks about secularism and people not wanting to sit still before the Lord. Yeah. And, and even, and even not only that, but it talks about secularism, but it even talks about, you know, the idea of even a good theology on prayer, I think is important too. Because mm -hmm. what is prayer? Like, cause if prayer, if, if, People, if what's mod being modeled on a Sunday morning is prayers kind of this public display of worship, we're just going to pray for, you know, the start of our service. We're going to pray for the end of our service. We're going to pray for those in need. And then if it doesn't translate to the home, like, yeah, I could pray for needs. And that's where I think a lot of times within Western society where prayers are all about needs. Mm -hmm. I want this, or I want a good, I want to get this job, or I want my sick relative to get better. And there's nothing wrong with praying those things. But then when you don't get that job, when your loved one doesn't get better, th then what now? And there's something, there's like a, something within the um, section of the uh, secularism killed the uh, prayer meeting where it says like if you doubt something you don't think it works so you don't use it and i think especially now in kind of our postmodern in our postmodern society i mean there's more and more people going like well prayer's just kind of more superstition like it doesn't work like or they ask the questions well i as a kid i prayed for my you know, I prayed for my aunt Rhonda to get better and she did it and she died. What, and how do you, and then as, as, as a pastor or even as a good church member, how do you answer that question? And usually the default is, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. And it's like, okay, like 
And, and I think for some people, they just won't accept that answer. And I think a lot of it stems from is not necessarily both parties are wrong in kind of their approach, but I think it goes back to what is prayer? How do we pray? And what's the, um, and what's the, um, and how does that shape how we not only answer the prayers where we do see God working in extraordinary ways, and where do we see prayer where we don't really, at that moment, don't really see God working because things are not getting better? Mm -hmm. I, I think what I would say to that, like, yes, I, I'm agreeing with you, but like, I think that what I would say to um, kind of the corporate model um, that we see in churches is that, you know, it's an act of worship. But then again, we have to, to we kind of have to come back to that whole uh, realization that not everybody has been in church their whole lives. And so maybe they don't know, they don't understand. They're really trying to find this God and mm -hmm. navigate God and navigate the relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, just, you know, salvation is, is really that first step, right? You, 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 you come to church or you, you know, we shared this in another episode. I think it was the SPC episode, but like mm -hmm. you, you get led to Jesus in one way, shape, or form. Where whether it's McDonald's parking lot, Walmart parking lot, uh, the pharmacy, or the church, like it, it, that first encounter with Jesus is in salvationism is is kind of like your 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 entrance into uh, you know the church, so to speak. And so, um, people may not know how to pray, and people may not understand prayer, and people may not understand uh, what it means to sit in the presence of God. And when we did the Asbury revival episode, maybe that's why some people were super skeptical of it because they didn't understand why people would just want to go sit in a chapel and worship and pray and seek the Lord endlessly. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it, I think what it boils down to is that people just don't know um, prayer. Uh, they don't really understand prayer. They don't understand worship. And, you know, as a worship leader, you know, I, some of the craziest times in, in my ministry have been, you know, there's these, this outpouring of the spirit and there's these Sundays where worship is going really well and worship is going really well and, and, you know, teaching and, and, and the spirit's really there. And then there's Sundays where you look out into the audience, this guy or this gal got their arms crossed and they're like, they look miserable being there, but maybe they they don't go to church on a regular basis. Maybe they don't know Jesus. Maybe they don't know how to pray. So um, it's to me, uh, it, I think we need to go back to the fundamentals and teach people what these things are and why um, versus just assuming that they would know. Would you agree with that or? Yeah, I do. Um, I would agree with that. I mean, I would agree. I feel like you're not convinced. No, I'm convinced. No, I'm convinced. Sorry, I'm, I'm just processing. So, well, I, no. well, like if I could take it a step further, like yeah, maybe that's ahead. an easy. That's easy, and that's maybe it's an easy cop out. Just like I can't go to church because, or I can't do this because, or I can't serve because, or Scott, I can't help you with children's ministry or or, or student ministry yeah. because everything's an excuse these days. I don't well, know. and I think well, I think it's too. I think it's that. I think the other side of it is I think people who want to come to a prayer meeting 
will come if it benefits their need or it benefits their agenda. And here, and here's what I mean by that. So I, again, I, at the beginning of this episode, I talked about how in 2015, 2016, we had a prayer meeting. I felt mixed about it. So kind of how that went down is there is a, a gentleman that came to the church and he worked for a missions organization uh, out in Virginia. And he was just telling me a story how he he was a Muslim that became a Christian, kind of was blackballed from his country. So he's not allowed to go back to his country anymore. Um, so he's been working at this missions organization and he just kind of felt this the, the Lord laid on his heart to really pray. Um, because I mean, all of it was still fresh. His family was, you know, he wasn't able to see his family anymore. So he's like, you know, I really felt the Lord to a, I feel like there's a need for prayer because there's a lot of stuff that's going on in our world that needs prayer for. And B, you know, on a, and he even said, you know, on a selfish level, I like to get back home so I can see my family again. Um, so it was like, all right, cool. You know, so we started to kind of gather and right now he, he talked to like six to eight churches within the city of Stanton. And besides the church I was pastoring in a Baptist church, just like, you know, a couple blocks away, like we were the only churches that said, yeah, let's, let's do this. Okay. So we start having these prayer meetings and they're very small, but um, the way this gentleman did it, he's like, okay, there's four main things we're going to pray for. And we did this every week, every Tuesday, we did this. Here's the four main things. So we'd have like a pastor go up and would pray for kind of open up this topic of prayer. And then everybody who was there got in groups of like four, and then they would pray with one another on the same topic. And then at the end, you know, the pastor would go up there and kind of close it out with prayer. And then the next topic would come on. So, it's, you know, systematically there's a formula to it, but it just seemed like it was just like, we knew when to go, but everyone else had their freedom to pray how they wanted within these circles. Well, then all of a sudden we start seeing it grow. It starts getting bigger. So I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great. My buddy, he's like, oh, wow, this is great. We're going to see great revival in our in our city and in our world. Very excited. And then after the 2016 election, once that election was done, and, you know, President Trump was declared the winner. The next prayer meeting and the next prayer meetings after that went back to only having a handful of people. Isn't that crazy? We had, I mean, there was times where we would be like in a classroom and people would be in the hallways. And again, we weren't specifically praying about the election. We were just praying about, you know, we prayed about the world. We prayed about stuff about, you know, our churches. We prayed for our pastors. Occasionally we pray for our country, but it wasn't like, let's go join this prayer meeting so we can pray about this presidential election. Because I know it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a decisive one between President Trump and and Hillary Clinton. Like, that's going to be, you know, and it, it bothered me. It bothered me so much. I'm like... These, these were people who grew up in church, who go to church regularly, who understand the value of a prayer meeting, and yet they only went to prayer meeting because they wanted to pray for how the election turned out. And I guess if it turned out in their favor, we don't have to go. God answered our prayers. 
And that and that answers Donald Trump. I mean, I'd be surprised if Clinton would have won that election if these people would still be coming for prayer meeting. Oh Lord, please send right. Jesus back now. Like, I mean, I don't know. It was just so mind-boggling. It bothered me, and that's why I said I was mixed about it because I was seeing something organic, something grow organically, right. and I thought everything that was happening was so special and so good and very reminiscent to the prayer meetings I remember as a kid and even teen when i started going back to church to now after a big political event goes it just goes and i felt bad and i felt bad for the guy he's like i don't know why people aren't coming anymore and i it was one of those things where i said i don't know man like i mean and i did know i didn't want to just say well welcome to america like politics is god and he politics is god here in virginia like i don't know i didn't know what to tell him at that moment because i was kind of in that point where i was just like what the heck like this is ridiculous like i don't know it was so so disappointed i was so disappointed with just how it fizzled out as quickly as it did because of the 2016 election so like kind of to piggyback off that, but kind of like to steer the conversation yeah. um, towards that article that we, we were talking about mm-hmm. um, the, the term secularism. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that has a lot to do with what you're talking about? Especially like, oh, yeah. in respect to the, to like it almost feels like, Oh, I want to come to church and pray on a certain topic. And if it doesn't go my way, I'm just done with church. Like <laughs> what kind of an attitude is that to have? And if you read God's yeah. word, like how many times did David, you know, repent or, you know, how many times did, you know, Paul pray to the Lord, like, take it away, take it away. Like, like that God isn't always going to answer prayer. Right. And, you know, to your point earlier about, um, well, that could be a podcast topic. Does God answer prayer? <laughs> um, you know, you know, like what, what kind of an attitude is that to have in reference to secularism? Like secularism is defined as the principle and separation of the state from religious institutions. Mm-hmm. Quote, he believes that secularism means no discrimination against anybody in this name of religion. End quote. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. And, and there's another quote within secularism too. When I was reading this, like it's, it's, well, I'm trying to figure out where it is. It's right here. Um, they talk about um, Immanuel Kant um, calling prayer a superstitious delusion. Um, and then he says, you know, Kant's God is distant and non-personal. Ignoring God is far more effective than denying his existence. If you ignore him, he disappears. And I almost feel like in regards to secularism within the church, and again, this goes back to how good is our theology uh, about God and prayer and and everything in between. If you only view prayer that, well, I can call upon the name of the Lord for whenever it benefits me, which again, the only time I feel like people call on the name of the Lord is when they need something. Or when there's something present where they can't fix it themselves. It's like, okay, I cannot fix this issue. God, you're going to have to fix this issue. And then we pray to God. And then guess what happens? Maybe sometimes God does fix the issue. And it's like, yay, cool. Problem solved. Yay, God. 
And then we go back to living our lives like, you know, okay, we'll put you back in the closet, God, and I'll pull you out next when I need you. And I feel like that is kind of the flow in the approach to prayer within not only a secular, a Christian secular society, but I would even say um, just in a traditional American Western society is we treat God like he's a genie in a bottle. And I'm not going to sing Christina Aguilera to you, but it's one of those things where it's like, well, if we can say the right prayer, if we do these things, if we if we do all this stuff, maybe if I fast or or do this in a prayer because I want this need to happen, and then it doesn't happen, then you go, uh, okay, well, maybe there's there's not a God thing. Where I think about David when when he knew that his first son was going to die, and he locked himself in the room, and he's on the threshing threshing room floor and he's praying and he's fasting and he hasn't eaten and he's been doing it for days and days and days and finally a servant comes and checks on him and sees that he hasn't eaten anything in weeks and it's like he goes and he tells david and david goes oh is my son dead and he goes yes your son died and it says david finally gets up off the ground he eats food he he showers he takes care of himself and then and everyone's just kind of shocked, but yet he's still considered to see, he's still considered to rely on God, even though his prayers and his outward devotion didn't come to fruition that he wanted. But he still was obedient to God. I feel like it's the opposite, where if I don't get what I need from God, then I'm just going to kind of be, eh, well, I'm not going to call upon your name anymore because, you know, you don't really... You didn't really pull out. You didn't really, you really didn't come through for me in this endeavor that I needed. Yeah. Um, and in the article, it says how secularism killed the prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm guilty of this, but like a lot of churches, I think, gave up on the idea of like a Wednesday night prayer meeting because they just weren't working out. They weren't well attended. Um do you think that we'll ever get back to a point where those become prevalent again? Well, I think if anything, I think if anything, if, um, if we continue to see this wave of this revivalism that kind of came from Asbury and kind of spreading across, like not only college campuses, but even some churches are kind of, promoting that they're having a revival or an outbreak of the Holy Spirit in their communities. If all that's legit and all that is moving through and we're starting to see that, then I wouldn't be surprised if people start getting back to prayer meetings. Because the thing is, is that when the Spirit comes upon you and you have a connection with that Spirit and you're starting to see transformation in your lives and the lives of people around you, then there's something that you want to continue to have more of that. And even though I believe that the spirit can come for a season here or there, but if you want more of that, then you're going to be devoted. The the danger of that, though, is are you going to start a prayer meeting because you've had this experience with the Holy Spirit? You're going to get a group of people at your church and you're going to have these prayer meetings but is it because we're going to get this prayer meetings because we still want to keep this going? Is Are we doing it because we're hoping that 
the Spirit's going to bless us out and bless all our needs? Or are we doing it because this is just a this is just another expression of what God's doing transformatively in you. So now you want to kind of start putting away all these extra busyness, secular things in your life. You're going to say, you know what? I'm now going to schedule time for me to go to this prayer meeting because it is vital for my transformation in Jesus Christ. It is vital for the church's transformation to be a church that embodies the the heart and soul of Jesus Christ's teaching. So I'm going to go to that. Like, are we going to see transformation? Or is prayer, again, going to be another systematic thing where, hey, we're going to ride this wave. And then once we get down to, all right, we had 20. Now we're down to four. <laughs> Does it make sense for the four of us to meet at the church and pay the electric bill and... Why well, have the it? doors open if no one shows up? You know, it's like that sort of thing. Like we we try to assist again. We try to systematically think like, okay, is this beneficial because we're not seeing the numbers we once were, or is this beneficial because we're paying more money into this through keeping toilet paper on the toilet paper on the racks and lights on and water going, water fountains going? It doesn't, you know, it, it it's that sort of thing where we start to kind of think of prayer meeting as a business model instead of a actual spiritual force. Mm-hmm. Well, I think too, like and we could have this conversation. It's a whole separate conversation, but like the idea of, does it have to be in the church? Do you have to have a prayer meeting in the church? Does it have to be in a physical location? Yeah. Uh, such as your church building. And, and, and my answer to that is probably not. Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, the, you know, the ideology behind, Oh, we have to have church in the building. Well, if you're worried about bills and finances and stuff like that, then those that's a whole other conversation. However, if you want to be adamant about having a small group or a life group together where you actually you know dive into the text of, of the sermon series or whatever that you're teaching, but like really make a time in the that hour, the hour and a half to you know be intentional about praying with one another and what you need prayer for. I think it's a it's it's completely appropriate to have that um, wherever. Right, like in people's homes, you know what you know. What does the Book of Acts say about <laughs> you know doing life together? And I think that that can include prayer, and that that is how I think you know. As I made the point earlier, like people don't really understand prayer or get prayer as new believers. Uh, you know, being involved in a life group setting can certainly do that, where you can understand prayer at a deeper level and bring somebody along that may not understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is heartbreaking, right? It like, is. We, we we grew up in a in an era, I think, where that was kind of dying or phasing out. And now like we're like you're saying, you know, with, with, with things like Christian colleges across across the nation really diving into to to seeking uh the Holy Spirit and, and praying together and worshiping together like never before. Um yeah. Like I said in that episode that we did about Asbury, it's it's kind of hard not to be resentful of the fact that like that's something that you and I as pastors and leaders of churches have tried to do for so long for so many years, and it just seems like the gen our generation turned their back on the church because they didn't feel like there was a place for them, and now there's it's like the opposite effect now. It's like a, a people are riding this wave, and people are encouraged by the fact that people want to pray and 
and live together, but not live together, do life together, pray together, yeah. worship together, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. And so like you and I were like, well, what do we do? We feel kind of out of place. So anyway, all that to say, like, yes, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating article about prayer and about how things used to be. And, you know, it, it it's not to say that we, we can't do that moving forward. Like you could do that. Like it's totally doable. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Do other, I don't know if you have any other thoughts about it. I just, I feel like it's, it was a great read. Um, it is, it's a great read. And I think it, I mean, and I think it kind of, and I mean, this was before the revival broke out too. Yes. When this was published. So hopefully, you know, we might see another article from Paul Miller being like, Hey, you know, it's almost kind of like when Time Magazine put that thing in the 60s where he put, you know, God is dead. And then like a couple weeks later, we saw the the Jesus revolution or the Jesus people movement that happened right after that. And it's like, oh, is God dead? Like it was like one of those things where you start to see, you know, it almost seems like right when we start to kind of see the bottom of everything then that's when, or when we get to the point where we're broken, we're humbled, we're everything else, that's when God can come and like raise us up. And I think, you know, if things are heading in this trajectory, you know, it'd be great to see, you know, it's great to see how the spirit's going to move from here. Prayer meetings are going to kind of become more of a constant thing. And again, I think that's great. I also be mindful, like, are we going to try to, again, capture lightning in a bottle? Are we going to take this movement and we're going to try to uh, try to systematically try to recreate all this stuff to kind of have the same expectations or the same response as we've been seeing recently um, throughout the uh, world within the uh, Christian um, movement. So friends, let us know what you think. If you've uh, been to a prayer meeting, if you have no clue what we're talking about with prayer meetings, we love to hear from you. You can feel free to send us a message at thisscottstebbin.com. You can also put something in the comment section, both on our YouTube page or even on um, on anywhere else you uh, listen to podcasts. We'll be sure to uh, not only read them and respond to you, but also be able to read them on the air. So guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend and we'll be back on next week on our episode take care